Welcome to another episode of Head & Neck High Notes, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Otolaryngology is a surgical subspecialty within medicine that deals with the surgical and medical management of conditions of the head and neck, also commonly referred to as ear, nose, and throat, or ENT. Hello, everyone. This is Head and Neck High Notes, and I'm your host, Candace Herlick. I'm a laryngologist, a voice specialist at Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. And today, I'm very pleased to have Dane Gunther here, who is one of our facial plastic and microvascular reconstructive surgeons at our Cleveland Clinic facilities. Dane recently performed the first transorbital neuroendoscopic surgery at Cleveland Clinic. This was completed in collaboration with Dr. Pablo Racinos, who's our neurosurgeon in the Neurological Institute. Dane, welcome to the Head and Neck High Notes. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So this transorbital neuroendoscopic surgery, TONES, can you give us a little bit of background on what exactly it is here? Yeah, so TONES is essentially a minimally invasive approach for what previously would have required open surgery. So larger craniotomies, larger surgeries, longer hospital stays. Um, but we use certain aspects in certain areas of the orbit um, to access parts of the anterior skull base, middle cranial fossa, frontal sinus, orbit itself, and also the midline skull base. So it allows you to get to places that would otherwise be very hard to get to um, without going through a lot of important structures. It's relatively new technique. It was popularized maybe around 10 years ago and then has slowly become more and more adopted at larger academic centers. It's fascinating. So this transorbital approach, you said there can be multiple ways to get to it. So this is a really a collaborative effort between our facial plastics group or our neurosurgery group. Is there any other groups that you're working with to kind of nail down the specifics of this since it is so new? Yeah, so it's primarily a collaboration between neurosurgery uh, and facial plastic surgery. Um, but we recently did a case with rhinology, so a transnasal approach. Uh, this was for a pretty big midline meningioma that was involving the cameric sinus, the internal carotid, but also the orbital apex. So we were able to get to the lateral and orbital components through the eyelid. And the midline skull base and cavernous sinus components were accessed through the nose. So there was actually quite a bit of back and forth trying to free up the tumor and access it, carefully dissect the vessels and decrease any blood supply as we needed to. So that was the most collaborative we've had so far, but there's certainly opportunities for working with others. That sounds like a pretty dangerous surgery, getting close to a lot of those vessels there. And sounds like it's probably decreased a lot of the morbidity and mortality associated with some of these bigger surgeries that had to be done in the past. Yeah, that's definitely true. So a couple of different advantages for this specific surgery. So again, it's midline and skull base structures that are closer kind of to the nose, the back of the nose, back of the orbit are very hard to access through conventional approaches without indeed going through various neurovascular structures, having to retract portions of the brain. So it gives us a more direct route, but it also has been used um, by us and by others for revision surgery. So patients who've had meningiomas or other benign tumors that have already had an open craniotomy uh, coming from lateral to access it in the conventional approach, um, we're able to bypass a lot of that scar and avoid going through the previous surgical site um, and uh, sometimes just clean up some of the tumor that was left behind. Or uh, if the tumor regrows or a new tumor forms, you can go through um, 
a less dissected and less scarred um, area that allows you actually to do it much safer. And it certainly does shorten hospital stays. So the conventional approach with a lateral craniotomy, often patients stay in the hospital for several days or longer. And with some of our minimally invasive approaches, we've actually had patients just stay overnight. And the only incision that they have that you can see is actually just in the eyelid. So ultimately, when it heals after a couple of months, you really can't see it. That's really fascinating. Can you give us some background what got you interested in doing this and um, how you really formed the collaborative event, uh, the collaborative team here at Cleveland Clinic? Yeah, so I've always been interested in the reconstructive portions of uh, facial plastic surgery specifically, which actually involves quite a bit. Um, You really have to know all the anatomy and all the facial structures. And by doing that, you can help others access certain things. So in my training in residency and fellowship at Johns Hopkins, I worked with a doctor named Kofi Bohin, who also had skull-based training. So he combined these two approaches, uh, going through the upper eyelid, going through the nose and some others, um, and really used them to minimize morbidity and push the field forward. And I learned directly from him. So I got to see these procedures quite often in training. Um, And then when I came here, Dr. Racinos, Uh, was actually a resident at the same time that I was at Johns Hopkins. So he learned from the same people. He was on the neurosurgery side of things, and I was on the facial plastic side of things. So we both had similar knowledge and similar kind of desire and approaches. So it it actually worked out perfectly because he he had some comfort with it but had not done it, and it was the same for me. But now that we've done it a few more times, and also with his partner, Dr. Kashetri, we're getting more and more comfortable with what we can access, what the best approach is, and and kind of how to address things uh, with more experience under our belt. Collaboration is so important. It's something we really value here at Cleveland Clinic. So it's exciting to take that collaborative approach you guys have learned elsewhere and really bring it to um, Cleveland Clinic and develop it and uh, make it make it our own here. Um, now I know this isn't the only place that produces that does this procedure tones. Um, but I know it's not widely, no, widely performed across the country. So can you kind of enlighten on how, how you guys are learning together along with learning across the country with different people who are performing it? Yeah, so one of the pioneers of this approach is Chris Moe, who's at University of Washington. So he is facial plastic surgery and skull-based surgery trained. And through his multiple surgeries, uh, thinking about how to approach things, he essentially combined the two. Um, it was conventionally thought that going through the orbit was was off limits because it was too much risk to the eye, too many important structures. But after uh, thinking about it and sort of looking at the anatomy and doing lots of orbital surgeries, he realized that you actually can approach the eye safely uh, and get behind the eye and it structures adjacent to the eye. So he was the one that really popularized it in our field. Um, and then the neurosurgeons from the other side sort of um, equally so made it made it more popular and also sort of formalized the approaches. Um, And then from there, it basically spread to other people who had similar training. So again, Kofi Bohin was very similarly trained in that he had facial plastics and school-based experience. So took some of his teachings uh, and then everybody just kind of expanded on it. Um, There's also specific conferences that, that devote a portion of the time to this. So it's, it's one of those things where it's a new enough field where, Um, there's certainly a lot to learn, but every year we're learning more and more people are sharing their experiences and getting more comfortable. And at this time we've performed one 
one exactly, or are we working on a second one? Um, how many are on the radar to go forward with? Yeah, so we've actually done four of these. So we're starting to do them more and more often. Uh, the first one was about six months ago with Dr. Racinos, and then Dr. Kashetri and I have performed three since. One of those was in collaboration with Rhinology for a, for a pretty advanced recurrent tumor. Uh, and we have two more coming up in the next few weeks. So now that we're getting more comfortable, we have, we're starting to establish the team. Uh, we're, we're kind of directing more and more patients down this path. And the outcomes have been great. Again, the hospital stays are shorter. Patients do better. There's less pain, less scarring, um, less risk to important structures. So we sort of took it slow at first, and we're really looking for uh, the ideal candidate for the first one. Uh, and we found it, which was a, a sphenoid meningioma, so relatively easy to access. And then we've gotten a little bit more aggressive each time in terms of who we're choosing, and they've all gone well. So I think it'll hopefully be something that we're doing several times a month. Um, and hopefully, and I imagine this will happen soon, being able to better and better identify patients that would be best for this approach versus the conventional open. Sounds amazing. So it sounds like starting small to really learn um, and get down the technique and the collaboration between um, Dr. Racinos and you, um, and also picking the right people that would be great candidates for this. Going forward, what do you anticipate would be a good candidate once you're starting to look more aggressively at some of the other patients, especially ones that are sick and really can't afford to be in the hospital, have big lateral craniotomies for these procedures? Yeah, so currently the indications, and I think it'll stay roughly the same for a while, uh, may expand a little bit, but is benign tumors that are in the orbit, the orbital apex, um, frontal sinus, anterior cranial fossa, middle cranial fossa, skull base area. Um, I say it's currently limited to benign because you can get around all these tumors, but to get margins and healthy tissue is a little more limiting. So currently that's what we're accessing with these approaches. But again, the last few we've expanded beyond what we thought we were initially going to be able to do. And part of it is just learning learning the approaches in terms of where you can get to safely and how much exposure you actually have. And these, these surgeries are a combination of endoscopic and microscopic. So at certain points, you can use the endoscope if that offers you the best view to get to a tight spot. Or if you need both hands and you really need to get a, a fine view of something, you can bring in the microscope even through these keyhole incisions. It sounds like this is very similar to when the skull base field really took off too, where they started with these small pituitary tumors that really weren't, and now they've expanded greatly in their field to really um, cover a wide range. And do you, still, do you see the field also expanding in that same way as the skull base field did? Yeah, I think it, it should evolve in a very similar way, because you're right, uh, endoscopic skull base surgery started with small things that were benign and then slowly expanded and now they're removing very extensive tumors that involve the brain and the skull base and um, cavernous sinus and are very extensive and they're doing it all through the nose. So I don't see why as we gain more and more comfort with this that we'll be able to safely offer these options to patients with uh, more advanced disease or perhaps different types of disease and malignancies. Yeah, I mean, these, these were tumors that were once de determined inoperable in a lot of cases. Um, and to be offer, to be in skull base at least, and to be offered a different approach um, where they may or less be inoperable via the conventional approach, it sounds like a fantastic way to to really 
um, provide this opportunity to some patients. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just another tool in the tool belt. So it's, you know, it's not the be all end all, but it's, you know, an, another option. And in addition to conventional approaches, which certainly for some people are going to be the best option. Uh, but yeah, just one more tool that we can use to minimize morbidity and maximize success. So a little bit about you and your part, what, what it makes you excited about starting this here and really getting this program going? So a couple of things, it's anytime you can do something new, especially for me in the reconstructive kind of realm, gets me excited. Uh, you know, surgery is a long career, but you're always learning. You're always learning new techniques. You're improving the old ways you used to do things. You're learning new things. You're modifying techniques. So it's one of those where it allows you to expand your horizons, really kind of do new cool things and offer better treatments for patients, uh, in addition to collaborating with other teams. So collaboration is also often one of the more rewarding aspects of, of being a surgeon. So we collaborate quite a bit with various services and the neurosurgeons are incredible and they're great to work with. Uh, everybody's on the same team. Um, it's just a really, really kind of novel approach that has a lot of application. And just by seeing that we've added, you know, in the past six months, going from zero to six during that time and two in a couple of weeks, um, it shows that there's actually a lot of patients out there who benefit from this. So it's something that if we can, kind of move quickly and really advance our techniques uh, with each patient safely and then be able to offer it to more and more patients over time. I think it's I think it's an incredible opportunity that we can continue to push for the next 30 years. Absolutely. Do you see this as a first line approach in some patients now rather than going forward with those lateral craniotomy approaches and the more invasive ones? Do you see that becoming maybe this first line, just like in skull-based surgery, you know, the endoscopic nasal approach is now first line for a lot of these tumors. I see like this is a very, um, you know, not as an invasive approach and it, it can potentially less morbidity, less mortality. Um, it can definitely be um, a first line approach. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the goal is to uh, really define the indications and get comfortable enough to be able to offer this first line and be able to offer it not as something that's new and we're developing, but but something that's we've demonstrated to work well and in many cases work better. So ideally it would be on the table like any other treatment would be. And if it's the best approach, I, I think we'll certainly be doing it first. And there's also other approaches too, which I was just thinking about. We have a patient coming up who has a CSF leak that's very high in lateral and tough to get through with a transnasal approach. So we're actually going to add a transorbital component to get to that lateral aspect of it near the eye. So I think that's sort of something I didn't think about before, but it's certainly a new indication. I think it'll keep expanding as we, as we think about patients and talk about patients and um, hopefully have additional patients come here looking for this treatment. That's fascinating. Any, anything from a cosmetic standpoint and facial reconstructive standpoint that you've seen um, f affect these patients on a cosmetic level? Does it f have a fairly good outcome? Because we can't see what's going on in the brain, right? Um, we know what you got around that. So, but what about the cosmetic portion of it? Is the outcome similar to any other of your, the procedures? Yeah, so, so with the old approach, the open approach, it was a pretty big incision, usually in the hairline, um, you know, a craniotomy, again, long hospital stay, and usually a large scar that was fairly well hidden, but certainly could be seen. And these approaches were simply doing a, an upper eyelid incision, which is similar to a blepharoplasty, which is a cosmetic procedure to remove some of the eyelid skin. So when these patients heal, all they have is an incision above their eye in a natural crease in an area that heals very well. So 
uh, patients, even after a couple of months, you really can't see the incision. There's some swelling in the area, but that's, that's expected after surgery. So once the puffiness of the area goes down after a couple of months, it often looks like they don't, they don't have any incision or haven't had anything done. Um, and this is especially true um, and would be a first-line treatment for patients, again, with tumors that are really toward the midline um, and kind of farther back behind the eye, anterior cranial fossa, middle cranial fossa, where it would be kind of a long approach from laterally. Um, and now we can do it even quicker in some cases with, with just as good outcomes. Absolutely. Do you see any any kind of roadblocks that would uh, prevent um, things from moving forward and advancing this field and this procedure? I don't think there's any roadblocks in terms of kind of the logistics, the team, the atmosphere, the environment. I think we're all on board and want to do this um, as well as we can and as collaboratively and kind of move the field forward as much as we can. Uh, the main thing, again, is just expanding safely our indications for doing this. So there's certain things that we may do in five or 10 years that we're probably not going to do tomorrow because we want to make sure that we're comfortable, that we've sort of expanded our boundaries of what we can remove and how we can do it slowly so that it's safe. Um, but I think that's the only thing is just uh, a patient safety. So we don't want to move too fast and get too aggressive and hurt anyone. So the whole goal of this is to be lower morbidity. So our approach so far has been to slowly expand our indications and expand our comfort level so that we could offer this safely. But certainly five, 10 years from now, we're going to be doing a lot more than we are today. So what are you most excited about with this procedure and moving forward? I think it's the ability to help a lot of patients um, who will spend not very much time in the hospital and can go back to living their lives like nothing was done. Um, I think that's the most exciting because it is a, it is a new field. It's it's um, it's new enough where we don't know exactly where it's going to go. So being part of that, being able to push the limits uh, and really expand it to its full indications. And then after that, being able to treat more and more patients, hopefully um, higher volume. It'd be incredible if they come here just for this procedure once we get more and more comfortable. Um, but I think that's the most exciting is really just a new field that has a lot of applicability and can help a lot of patients. So what else can we tell our listeners today that'll push them to kind of send their patients over here um, in, our, in our patient population to say that we're ready to move forward and we're ready to, to push this, these limits and see what we can do? What do we tell them? Yeah, so I think right now what we would tell them is, you know, first of all, a second opinion never hurts. Uh, if it's something where tones has been brought up or other approaches have been considered, or they simply want to talk to someone to see if it's even an option. I think that's the most important thing is just to, to realize that getting a second opinion, having someone else look at the MRI and look at your symptoms and see how things have progressed and, and see if it's even an option. I think that's the most important. Uh, and then again, once we kind of expand our, our indications and, um, you know, demonstrate our outcomes, hopefully we'll become one of the centers for this. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Dane. You want to give us any last minute advice, questions to let us know how, how much uh, uh, you're excited to be here at a Cleveland clinic and uh, really moving forward with everything. Yeah, so I think, again, the last, I think the last piece of advice on this topic, and really goes for anything in medicine, uh, is just seek out all the different options. There's so much information available these days to patients, and that's sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, uh, but at least it shows that there's more options, and it's important to seek an opinion with someone who really 
understands the topic. Um, so coming here to see neurosurgery, coming here to see me, those kind of things and using that information and realizing you don't have to take the first option that's giving to you is most important. What's your next vacation once COVID's over? Oh, so my next vacation is I'm going to Napa for a friend's birthday and we're going to go wine tasting and have dinner at French Laundry uh, and just enjoy the September weather. That sounds amazing. So really looking forward to that. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dane, for visiting us um, and joining us here. For more information on uh, transorbital neuroendoscopic surgery, um, you can call 216-444-2200. Again, that's 216-444-2200. Or you can go to clevelandclinic.org forward slash head neck. Thank you so much for joining us all for our very first Head and Neck High Notes podcast. This concludes this episode of Head and Neck High Notes. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Head and Neck Institute on our Consult QD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org. Thank you for listening.